Mamajunatramanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshun Melitanyena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Vanchakapatubhyascha, Kripasindabhivacha, Patitanam Pamanebhyo, Vaishnavijunamo Namaha. So good evening. Continue our discussions on Madhurya Kadamani. Instructions that are meant to truly help us in the stage of devotional service and practice perform our practice in such a way that it's fully nourishing and uh, free of obstructions. We're at that place in Midori Kadambani where we're dealing with the major obstructions, uh, namaparads. The author, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, has, has given an explanation of the first four of the namaparads, which are ten in number. And we're going to continue tonight and quickly discuss in not such a deep manner, following the mood of Vishwanath, the other offenses. He ends the section uh, where he discusses the fourth offense of vilifying uh, the shrutis, uh, the scriptures, uh, dealing, well, basically having an offensive attitude towards any of the scripture. The Supreme Lord, he has given uh, directions uh, through the Vedas to assist humanity. And we're talking about a diverse group of individuals here. There are 8,400,000 species of living entities, and there are 400,000 of those are, are in the human category with intelligent enough intelligence that would hopefully be enough to allow them to go deeper than superficial enjoyments of the world. Uh, and the sages have, have basically classified those as for all the living entities, eat, sleep, mate, defend, in some fashion, in some manner. So when we come to the human form of life, there is, there is some intelligence that allows some inquiry into higher things beyond those basic necessities of life. The why questions can begin. So Vishwanath ended, ends this, this fourth offense with the following following statement. One should thus understand the cause and nullification of the other six nam aparads. In other words, I've dealt with the first four in a specific way. If you look at the way I've dealt with those, then you can apply that type of an approach to the other six nam aparads. Hopefully we covered in the last class deeply enough the fact that 
when we come to this human form of life, there are so many different classes of living entities uh, that uh, not all pursue pursue the paths of the path of bhakti in particular, because that's our school. Uh, we're we're striving to be uh, lovers of the Lord, and we're coming in a, a sampradaya, a disciplic succession, which gives us a an opportunity to attain that in a very, very pure way. But there are other humans that do not have that, that aspiration. Now, we consider that aspiration the highest of the high. And no one can sway us from our, from our fixed resolve in that regard. We we can see some very great merit and and perceive some of the a very deep conviction in this sampradaya uh, we're talking about a, a a line of disciplic succession which is is rock solid uh, so many mentors are there and they're so determined and so expert in explaining this philosophy and they're all such great acharyas. By their example in life, that alone is enough to inspire us. If they never even said anything, uh, just to see the way they deal with the world, the level of compassion and humility they have, um, somebody with a little bit of intelligence could perceive something very wonderful there and uh, aspire for it. But they do open their mouths and the nectar that flows from there is unimaginable. The deepest of philosophies and understanding of the Supreme Lord, which is, we, we say it's unsurpassed. No one can come to this level, this depth of understanding except the Gaudias. In the, coming in the wake of Sri Chaitanya, who could conceive of this, these kind of relationships uh, in Vraj, free of Ashvarya, free of a, even a sense that where God gives up his godliness just to love people, just to love his associates. So, we look at the Lord's Vedas where he gives this knowledge and we're given the information while the, the compiler of the Vedas himself when he finished the job he was discontent now you have to understand the Vedas contain knowledge for all classes of men all those different humans who have intelligence it addresses all their various the various desires that they may have in a way that they can implement the instructions there and advance. So if, if, you, if you want to advance materially, the Vedas will tell you how to do that. If you want to, if you want to advance in renunciation of the world so that you don't have to suffer the, the, 
suffer the results of, of your continual involvement? Uh, what do you say, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that befall us because of our utter and total stupidity in trying to exploit the world? Not understanding deeply the workings of the world, we become frustrated and we just want to we want to turn it off it's it's so we we there are people that just want that there are people that want to enjoy it to the max there are people that want to enjoy it on steroids to the supermax the yogis they're not satisfied with just being the richest or being the most famous or going to the heavenly planets and control no they want complete mastery of the world they want to become perfect to the point where they can become smaller and the smallest and bigger and the biggest. They can go anywhere they want. They can change the, their form into anything they want. They can control other people's intelligence. Some humans will have this desire. So the Vedas address all these various aspirations. But the author of the Vedas... Yasudev, when the knowledge could no longer be passed down from teacher to student, from guru to disciple, when it could no longer be passed down orally, when our brains become, become duller and duller through the different seasons of the life, the cycles of the seasons from highest intelligence to mediocre to little less to complete and utter stupidity from Satya Yuga to Kali Yuga coming into the last Yuga, into the Yuga we now reside in, this last bastion of, of uh, you know, human exploitation, the most miserable of all conditions. And most everybody doesn't even, you know, it's like, what do you, what's wrong with it? I'm fine. Got a family, got a wife, got a job. I know I have to go through a commute for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, and I didn't get that raise I wanted. My wife wants a divorce, and my teenage kids want their own cars, and I can't afford them. And on and on. But still, hey, it's all right here. I'm fine. And you're telling me this is the worst age of mankind? What's so bad about it? So the Vedas, they deal with all this. They try to, they try to satisfy humanity. But, as I said, when the author wrote them down, he was discontent. He didn't feel, he didn't feel he'd done a very good job. He approached his spiritual master and said, oh, well, I, I did my duty. This was my charge to codify and, and put everything down. Uh, I'm discontent, though. I just, there's something missing. And he said, and, and his spiritual master, Narada Muni, said, yeah, well, why don't you just take the cream? And, and put all the essence of the Vedas, because all these instructions for humanity are ultimately meant to bring them to the point of bhakti. 
So why don't you just skim off the cream of bhakti and put that in one one literature. That might satisf satisfy you. There's a good chance. Why don't you try it at least? So this cream, this cream is what we have in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the, 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 the Bhakti Shastra, the Shastra that, that highlights our, our Sampradaya. It's the torchlight uh, that that carries us forward in 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 the highest of aspirations, so much so that we feel no other scripture, no other presentation of, of Vedic knowledge gets to the essence in such a wonderful manner. So all of our instructions revolve around this. This is our universe of Tattva, Srimad Bhagavatam. But we can see these other scriptures are there uh, for upliftment of humanity. It gets the ball rolling. Uh, it, it gets, it's, do some sacrifice and get that child, that good wife, that good life, that elevation to the heavenly planets. Uh, do that austerity Acquire that knowledge. Do that austerity and, and you'll acquire what you want. Acquire that knowledge and you can detach yourself from matter and attain the liberation from the cycle of samsara that you desire. So the knowledge is there. Learn about the workings of the universe. Learn about the difference between spirit, soul and, and, uh, and matter. Uh, learn about the various energies and understand the Supreme Brahman in such a way that you can attain that and turn off karma, become a jivan mukta, become liberated, even in this even in this body. Until you actually go there into Brahman, you can be so detached that nothing here can touch you. Because you've turned off karma. You've turned it off. Those instructions are there. And the yogi, the instructions are there. In fact, the Vedas contain all knowledge that humanity would use. So we get in the habit of going, we start taking our knowledge there. We go to the Vedas. How do I acquire this? Go to the Vedas. What knowledge do I need in order to attain liberation? We go to the Vedas. What, uh, you know, it's, it's a storehouse of knowledge. What kind of asanas do I do to to get the cities and the and the uh, you know the super super powerful life that I want? All all in the Vedas, and then we have the cream. So the fourth offense is that we do not vilify the fact that there are people that do not have a taste for cream yet. It's too rich for them. It, they just can't take it. It has an adverse effect. They have no taste for it. So, they don't take advantage of the, of the cream, the essence of the Vedas, but they take advantage of the Vedas. And we don't decry, okay, if the cream's too rich for you, fine. 
Of course, as I said, Lord Chaitanya came and he came with a funnel. He turned them up, threw them on the ground, put the funnel in the mouth and said, here, you take this cream. This is the best medicine for you. This is what I've come to give. So we're a little, we're a little in that line. We, we want everybody to take the cream. You know, this is a special dispensation. You don't have to be in it's It's freely given. But we never decry the Vedas. And if we were to decry the Vedas and not understand their significance in humanity at large, that would be a nam aparad, and that would hinder our advancement. So let's walk through the other six. Um, All right, so we'll just go through the go through all of them. So we we got it. We got the first one is we don't want to do anything to offend the devotee in any any way, shape, or form. We do not want to in any way minimize or neglect the orders of the spiritual master. Um, What's the third offense? Anyone? The committing sins on the strength of... Uh, That's seven. That's the demigods name being equal to... Oh, what's the one about Shiva? My gosh, what were we doing? All that, all that stuff, learning about the tattva. So the third offense is to, is to not understand the position of the Lord's various energies, particularly to think that the name of the demigods is equal to the holy name of the Lord, that they have the same potency, they give the same result, and uh, to, uh, to, not, to not dive deeply into the to a, to tattva in such a way that we understand the Lord and his various energies. So, three offenses. Offenses to devotees, offenses to the guru, to, uh, to, to not properly understand the Lord's various energies, the position of Shiva being Vishnu Tattva, but voluntarily coming into material nature, and then the scriptures, to not fully understand the scriptures, uh, and, to, and to decry those that may not be the ones that we, that we relish so much. Their humanity, humanity needs all the help they can get, and it's a fact. Sometimes the cream is just too rich for certain people. So the next offense, the fifth offense, is to think that the glories of the holy name are an exaggeration. Now the scriptures say the holy name is more powerful than we can imagine. But the fact of the matter is you need to just turn that around. The scriptures cannot say enough about the glories of the holy name. Whatever they say, the, the holy name has all those powers and much more. So that's truly the position of of the holy name of the Lord. 
it, it's it's as powerless powerful as the Lord itself, as the scriptures say, and it's more powerful than we can even possibly contemplate. So, but the mind may think in the beginning, the neophyte stage, we may say, is it really possible for just one utterance of the holy name to obliterate more sinful activities than I could ever commit? That's might be an exaggeration just to kind of pull me in. No. No. It's no exaggeration. The holy name is so powerful that coming from the lips of a pure devotee it can liberate a whole universe. Of course the universe is the jivas are unlimited and everywhere but the universe would fill back up very quickly. But that's how powerful the holy name is. The pure devotee chanting the holy name can can liberate liberate all. So uh, that's the power of the holy name. So we should always remember whatever we hear about the powers of the holy name, that is just a glimpse of its true potency. Because there's no difference at all between Krishna's holy name and himself. To interpret the holy name, to think it's something different than what it... To give some interpretation. Um, So, an example is given here. If we look at the powers, I don't know, I think the author is, anyway, I would say this differently, but to interpret the holy name, to give it a meaning other than what it actually is, it is Krishna and to give some interpretation other than that oh it's 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 it <coughs> it's really uh just like some powerful herb uh it can uh, nullify uh, you know material suffering or to in any way I mean, we have, the, the great Acharyas have given us a full explanation of what is Krishna's holy name and what is the potency of the holy name. So if we were to, uh, uh, to interject some mental speculation into the, in, it would be very unbecoming. I guess the best example we could have of that is... Uh, Especially here, we're all aware of, uh, you know, this internet preaching that we do. Uh, and sometimes we'll notice that a, a, the disciple, uh, in an attempt to glorify his spiritual master, will, will try to explain Shastra, or try to explain what his guru 
meant when he said this or that or another thing. And sometimes these are young disciples. They don't know the philosophy very well. And their attempt to do that, we find very unbecoming. It's like, wow, what your spiritual master said was contained so much more, you're actually diminishing the glory of what he said by putting forth your misunderstanding as an explanation or a false glorification of him. Does that make sense? So the same thing applies to the holy name. We, we should be very careful to present knowledge as, 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 as we hear from the, from the spiritual master and from the scripture in an authoritative way. We don't need to put words in the mouth of our spiritual master. We don't need to interpret what's in the scriptures. And we don't need to say the holy name is something else in order to, in order, it's just unbecoming. No good can come of that because you can't say enough. I mean, Ananta Dave could, can speak continually about the holy name and never le- reach the end of its glories. We don't need to make it up as we go along. It, it just, it's, it's, it, it serves no purpose. So that's an offense when we do it. When we, when we give our own interpretation, uh, then that is an, that's the sixth offense. So the fifth is to think that what is said about the holy name is an exaggeration. And the sixth is to... Huh? Exaggerate it. You can't exaggerate. The Holy Name could do it. But to apply your own, your own interpretation, and we'll, because we're not good at it, as I said, it's just very unbecoming when we try to explain what we don't fully understand. Now, when you fully understand the power of the Holy Name, you can, you can. You can spread that knowledge unlimitedly, and people will really relish and appreciate it, and be and be nourished spiritually by it. But uh, whether it be uh, the holy name or any aspect of this this transcendental uh, Krishna consciousness, uh, we don't need to we don't need to add our own two cents because our own two cents is generally. Into the, in the negative numbers to begin with. We come to the seventh offense, committing sinful activities on the strength of chanting. I think that's evident. We come from a culture that has established this offense as a religious principle for the most part and encourages that encourages people to do it regularly now they really don't want but they've they've cheapened 
their practice in such a way that it has become common practice. I hope I'm not wrong, and I certainly don't want to misrepresent, you know, Christianity, but there seems to me to be a sense that you can do whatever hell you want as long as you go in the confessional and you commit and you and you and you say I did this and then the priest will say, Okay, that's all right. He'll give you some little penance, you know, give me some money or chant some Hail Marys or whatever. That's not what Jesus intended, and that's really not what that scripture prescribes, but unfortunately it's become the tradition, the common practice. So, we live in a culture where that's there, so this offense is not hard to understand. We, that's not in our tradition. It's not in even their tradition. Uh, so, we, 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 we stay away from that. If our senses get the better of us and we fall down, okay, I'll go to hell. It doesn't matter. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get in the habit, as I said, willfully taking advantage of the holy name, willfully thinking I can do whatever I want, and uh, I can I can nullify my actions and obliterate the reactions by simply chanting. Well, you can, but. Krishna also wants you to be the best that you can be. He wants he wants his devotees to uh, to shine in the world so that they be a, a beacon of light for humanity. So he's probably not, although he could he could nullify sins every time you chant his name. It's the power. The power of the holy name is unlimited. It can do that unlimitedly. So there's there's no loss there. He could do that, but it, it's it's not it's not our nature, it, and it's certainly not a practice. It's an offense to the holy name, and it is going to definitely impede our progress to develop that attitude. The attitude has to get, be given up. Um, and we would certainly hope that the other traditions of the world where it's, uh, where it's falsely put forward as a uh, be-all and end-all solution to uh, sinful life would also uh, come to their senses. So at least we need to have good senses about it and about the holy name. So that's the seventh offense. The seventh offense was really uh, put forward as the most serious offense by uh, my spiritual master with his young disciples. He really saw a lacking based on what I believe was that uh, Christian upbringing and culture that we came from where he saw this, this needs to be stamped out really stamped out for my young disciples to make progress. So he said, this is the most serious offense. Although a more critical analysis, we would say that offending Vaishnavs has a, has a heavier reaction. 
seventh, eighth offense is to think that anything done on the material platform as far as karma, conda, sacrifice, anything, any other prescription is uh, is as effective as the holy name in allowing one to attain uh, the ultimate in spiritual life. So, uh, it's not like anything else. It's not like performing sacrifices. It's not like getting knowledge to attain liberation, mukti. It's not like, uh, you know, the attainment of cities through the practice of yoga. It's in a class by itself. And to think that, to equate it with those other practices is in itself an offense. So on the one hand, we do not decry the scriptures where they say to perform these other things. But we also, with this eighth offense, understand that none of those things are as powerful in helping suffering humanity as is chanting the holy name. Nothing is going to give you such a such a an effective result in attaining whatever you want really the holy name can give everything because it's not different from krishna it can give you liberation it can give you elevation it can fulfill all your material desires it has that power and much much more so we don't equate it with these other things. It's, it's in a class by itself. Uh, it, can, it can give all that as a byproduct of the real gem that it, it, that it can deliver to, to us. The ninth offense is to instruct these glorious, these glories to those that have no faith. Uh, devotees are so merciful they they try to give knowledge of the holy name to everyone but to explain the the power of the holy name to people that are that aren't yet uh qualified uh that really don't have have not developed enough faith uh, that that becomes offensive because they are offensive to the holy name they don't think that it that all these things are true and uh, so we tell them when well, you chant Hare Krishna and eventually by hearing attentively over some time then then the faith will be there uh, and they can in association of the sadhus seriously take up the holy name but uh, if they don't have some true faith uh, in this chanting uh, 
we're generally very cautious in, in instructing. It can become a real problem because uh, because of their their offensive def- offensive attitude that uh, those without faith can develop. And the tenth offense is to maintain our determination to enjoy this world when we're told all this wonderful knowledge of what you can have of what's available to you of the true if and this is different this offense is different than just still having some residual uh, anarthas or, or, or tendencies to try to enjoy life this this is an offense to the holy name. It's not it's not like just one of those a samskara, something that's just a bad habit. It's that's coming with the body. You're uh, you uh, you know you're a thief or you're lusty or you you know it's not like those things. No, those things are easily dealt with. That karmic baggage that we come to Krishna consciousness with, that's dispensed with rather easily as we chant. Uh, not everyone, as I said, some people have more of it than, than others, and it may take a little bit more time, but uh, no, it's, uh, the, you know, this, this <clears throat> parabda karma is, is quickly dissipated when one comes into contact and is blessed by the sadhu, the guru. So that sadhu sangha is so powerful. Uh, that it uh, it plants the seed of aspiration to be a devotee, and it uh, that seed is there uh, from the guru, and that seed comes with his good intent, which is which is the real power uh, to take to the process. So. After receiving such a benediction, to doggedly hang on uh, to our material aspirations for advancement, enjoyment, elevation, liberation, uh, to doggedly hang on to those things, to to have those things and to just say, well, I just won't give them up. There's a big difference between can't and won't. I can't give it up quite yet. That's one thing. All right. Okay. That's how much can we can we suppress our senses in such a way that we can still practice in an effective way? It's really what the guru's asking, isn't it? Just suppress enough that you can practice in such a way that, that your practice has some true meaningful effect. It's kind of hard to chant attentively if you're stoned every morning. If you've been up all night and you're, and you're just white, you know, you're just, you know, you're still glassy-eyed. You have a hangover or whatever. You know, that's, that's 
it's going to make it really difficult. So, uh, we, we have to be able to see that distinction between what is, you know, bad habit and, uh, and bad intent. It's really the distinction. The bad habits, the guru will give us some regiment to gradually keep those down. We follow the prescription and the disease will abate. If we think we'd rather be sick than well, that's what we're talking about in this 10th offense. I still want to be sick. So, well, you just can't take the medicine effectively then. That's an offense to the holy name, and that's going to impede our progress. So, we've touched these operads. This is the, the serious stuff. This is the the thing that gives us most the most problem. So Vishwanath goes on in his the next section. He says, "Now anarthas arising out of bhakti are being described." So we're going beyond the the aparads to the holy name, and now there's offenses, anarthas. He says Anarthas here, arising out of bhakti are being described. They grow along with the main bhakti creeper as weeds. Such weeds appear as wealth, gain, fame, respect, and others receive from bhakti, and they influence the heart of a devotee. By their nature, they choke the development of the main bhakti creeper. So this is the fourth. Let's go back and review. We've talked about four classes. Duskritotha, Sukritotha, Aparadotha, and Bhaktyutha. So this is the fourth, Bhaktyutha. So these are the four classes of Anarthas. The third one is the most serious. The fourth one is as we practice uh, devotional service in the first of the three stages, when we look at devotional life in three stages, there's two characteristics. One of those characteristics is what? The first one is Kleshagna. Kleshagna means what? The Kleshas, those, the life of ignorance that we have been living since time immemorial is turned off, gradually dissipated. But the other one, Kleshagna, is Subhada. What's Subhada? Good fortune auspiciousness so that auspiciousness is coming now this section of bhakti bhaktyutha aparad means that 
we, we have to make sure that we do not, that we properly do our devotional service in such a way that that good fortune is the good fortune of bhakti. That we keep focused on the goal. We keep focused on what what is. Because bhakti is so magnanimous that just coming into contact with her and Krishna is, you know, I mean, he contains everything. He has everything. Just coming into contact with the holy name, this subhada, this auspiciousness, and, and all the glories that, that are Krishna's qualities, wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation, those, we, we are now running in that circle because daily we are immersing ourselves in the holy name, in the worship of the deity, in the association of the devotees, in the practice of devotional service. These things are also manifesting because that is the nature of spiritual existence. That good fortune is coming as a byproduct. naturally but what do we want our what is our what do we want we want bhakti what do we want what is that bhakti that bhakti is anyabilasita sunyam we want to serve krishna and give him all of our love in such a way that it becomes our only existence. We live for that. We live to make Krishna happy. That is our life. That is our aspiration. But there's these byproducts there that are coming because we are coming into the, con- into the nature of the spiritual realm. There is this unlimited good fortune we have to be careful that the good fortune that we take from our practice is that good fortune that brings us more and more in line with the absolute dedication to the purest of service. A pure love, unadulterated by anything. So when the servants of bhakti... Now, when we say the servants of bhakti, we mean all of the Lord's potencies. They're all serving bhakti. If we were to really look at what is going on, all of the Lord's energies serve him. And that service is pure love. those follow naturally. So the devotee does become, he can become wealthy. He can be become famous. He is famous. He does gain all respect. Um, if we 
start to a start to again let the, that become an objective and we become overtaken by it that's what's being spoken of here then it becomes an anartha it impedes our progress all of a sudden I want fame I want wealth I don't mind if my disciples you know give me everything I kind of like it as opposed to a mentality that a sadhu would have is give me everything and I'm going to give it I'm just going to pass it on so therefore this we learn that the the great sadhus in our line are referred to as what transparent vi medias uh Prabhupada used to use an analogy of what I don't know if you've read or heard maybe not his analogy was we're like a postman a postman brings you a million dollar check but he doesn't think that the check is his right it comes in the mail he takes the envelope he, he delivers it to you but he's he's a transparent by media he doesn't say well i need my cut that's what this is speaking of we don't want to take any cuts we don't want the fame we don't want the respect we don't want we simply want krishna that in itself itself we want to run we want to want him so much that when he hides behind a tree we cry we don't want his wealth we don't want his money we don't want his women we don't want to live with him well anyway <laughs> <laughs> what uh if he doesn't want us there we don't want to live with him if he wants to make us broken hearted and by hiding behind the trees all right i will cry forever so that's what's speaking of, being spoken of here in some rather interesting language by the commentator ananda das babaji he has a couple things to say which i thought were uh, were pretty nice first though before i get to his colorful language uh let us hear what uh mahaprabhu says to rupa goswami in this regard he considered these things weeds and he spoke to rupa the following sometimes unlimited unwanted weeds arise along with the bhakti creeper as innumerable desires for material enjoyment liberation performance of acts forbidden in shastra duplicity fault finding violence towards others living beings material gains respect fame and so on when the weeds are sprinkled along with the creeper they also grow along with the creeper and will suffocate the roots of the creeper so first these weeds must be rooted out so that the original stem can grow up to reach vrindavan so this is his poetry 
This is like these weeds. Just We have to yank them out. Whenever we see them, you just get them out of the garden. Otherwise, as I said, it's a natural consequence. They'll be, they will be watered if you allow them to seed, sit there in seedling form. Well, maybe I, you know... I mean, there, sometimes you hear, there's a certain class of sannyasis, they say, well, it's good to collect money. And, I, you know, I, I could use a retirement fund. Let me go on the banquet circuit where the rich Indians or the rich families, they give some, some really good alms. That's time, you see, sometimes, as an example, Madhavinder Puri when he went to Vrindavan, he wouldn't beg any alms. Krishna personally went to him and gave him a pot of milk. And then he realized, where's that young boy who brought that? Who was that? It dawned on him. The little boy said, you know, in my place here, no one is not taken care of. It's a weed. We have to be careful. Don't take advantage. We don't want to get caught up in these things. We want to spread this loving movement to humanity at large. And if it, in order to spread it, we have to rip the, temp, the marble off the temple walls, then in order to print books and, and uplift humanity, then, off, then we'll, we will decimate the temple. We will tear it apart to print or to do whatever's necessary to spread Lord Shaitanya's movement. We don't need comfortable rooms. We don't need comfort. We don't need. That's the dedication. Imagine that level of dedication. That I will forsake everything to spread this Krishna consciousness. That's what the Goswamis exemplified. Very high ideal. We have to be careful to not take advantage of what comes naturally in the association of Krishna and his devotees to our personal advantage. But we also don't want to be false renunciants. So it's a balancing act. <coughs> That's why we always take good counsel of each other. Our associates can help us keep our temperature right. They can tell us when we have a fever and they can tell us when, you know, we're a little too cold. We're taking on more austerity than, than, than's good. We become a little cranky because we're always underfed or under sleep. Or, so there's a balance. Not everyone's balance is the same. Good association. We can't overemphasize that. I have to end with a little humor from Ananda das, Ananta Das Babaji. Of course, he, he's quoting Sanatan here, Sanatan Goswami, so it's a great quote. Though one may give up everything, desire for fame, the cause of all Anarthas, is difficult to give up. A sadhika devotee should thus be very careful not to touch the stool of fame. So that's Sanatan Goswami's statement. That was from the uh, an appendix he wrote to the Hari Bhakti Vilas. The stool of fame. The author goes on, If desire for fame exists in the heart, its beloved 
envy also follows. So fame has a friend, envy. Since fame and envy are conjugally related, from the semen of the envy in the womb of fame appears two twins, jealousy and malice. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association and attendance. Thank you. Hare Krishna.